Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays, as well as keeping this program going. If you've already subscribed, thank you. It makes a huge difference. Sarah, what did we watch this week? We watched Gunther's Millions or Gunther's Millions <laughs> on Netflix. It was created by Emily DeMay and Aurelian Leturgy and directed by Aurelian. It's his first time directing, but he has produced shows including Sex, Wiz, Antoine, which is apparently a documentary. And speaking mm. of sex whizzes, joining us to count those millions is journalist, true crime author, host of the truly excellent These Are Their Stories podcast, and one quarter of Crime Writers On. It's Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hi, ladies. How are you? Oh, Very well. We're great. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> so we're collecting the set. You know how I say it made it sound like that this was like, you're doing me this big favor and you're honoring me when really you just put a goddamn gun to my head and said, Rebecca was on. And why aren't you on you horrible person? And so I'm mm-hmm. here as a hostage. Definitely oh, as a hostage. Most people can't see, but I'm blinking in a certain yes. I'm blinking uh, uh, in Morris code. I invited well, you better stay in line, right? Yes. Stay in line. As I invited the- your <laughs> Patreon right. Christmas cocktail party. Yeah, and held you yeah. to ransom in front of all your patrons. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's the that. way to do it. When a man is reluctant, just embarrass him on a Zoom call. Exactly. <laughs> and, that, and that works quite a bit. <laughs> so as this is your first time on Crime Scene, uh, would you please tell us and our many, many listeners your true crime origin story? How did you get into it? What do you get out of it? Well, I was at uh, at one point a television journalist, local television journalist. That was when I was thin and I didn't have glasses or a hairy face. Uh, I was in fighting shape then. I was in TV mm. fighting shape. But I was a general assignment reporter. And one weekend I got called to a, um, a case of a missing person. And this was like in March. So usually this is uh, like the time of year where maybe somebody goes into the woods and they get lost hiker kind of thing. And we mm. shot over to the police department and we were looking. There's like, there's no fish and game department here. There's no hiker. Like, what kind of missing person is this? And so we waited in the lobby of the police station and we could hear on the other side of the wall. This state police detective was there talking to a local detective. And he says, so do you think she cut up the body before she burned it? Or do you think she burned it and then dismembered it? And I was like, this, uh, this is uh-oh. no missing persons uh and so that was and so i fell into a story about a female serial killer her name was sheila labar and i covered that and then wrote a book about it called wicked intentions and uh you know that's how i got into true crime publishing and so did that see i'm trying to think how many books i wrote maybe five or six books uh i wrote many of them with my wife rebecca lavoie so writing a book with your wife is like moving a couch for six months. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh no. Up your yeah. end. Yeah. Turn it. Turn yeah. it. No, turn, turn it the other way. Rotate. I liked it. It was perfect the way it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then in 2016, uh, when Serial came out, we started a podcast. And I had asked her, you know, she, she works at a, a public radio station. And although, you know, Serial's not, an NPR product kind of has like its DNA in that because it you know, mm-hmm. came from this American life. And I said, is your radio station doing anything? You know, a w- weekly listen or whatever. This is like a huge thing, this podcast. And she said, no. And I remember we were driving in the car and I turned and I looked at her and I said, well, then we should do the podcast. It should have crime writers in its name. And or, yeah, it should have crime writers in its name. And we should do it by Friday or we're never going to do it. And mm. we did it. And we were supposed to have a we thought, let's bring on like a rotating panel of guests. And, you know, like how wonderful, like, like you know, you think that's going to be great. You know what it's like to like get one person to come on. Yes. We, our first two guests were just fantastic. Laura Bricker and Toby Ball. And they all brought something different. And so the four of us have been doing it 
and you know, we just recorded our 400, 400th episode. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, amazing. Before we get to Gunter, uh, we do have some true crime news. Um, this comes to us from Eve Beatty of Best Evidence uh, Newsletter. She asks, is Elizabeth Holmes sneaky or stupid? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're on Holmes Watch here at Crime Scene, so, of course, we mm-hmm. have to bring you news that Elizabeth Holmes had an inspiring step forward. <laughs> Booked a one-way aeroplane ticket to Mexico, supposed to depart on 26th of January. Uh, law enforcement caught wind of this on the 23rd of January and compelled her to cancel her ticket. She said she was going to attend a friend's wedding uh, and that she and her partner, Billy Evans, were then planning to drive back to California via Tijuana. Uh, Billy did, in fact, do that while Elizabeth stayed at home. And prosecutors have now a court filing that Holmes should not wait until her agreed-upon surrender date of April 27th to begin her 11-year sentence. So we'll link to that best evidence newsletter in our show notes. You can get even more of the details. But my question is, Kevin, you're going on the lamb. Is a one-way ticket in your own name the right way to go? (laughs) No. I mean, how much money are they saving by just getting the one-way ticket, right? If you really Mm want to sell this, buy a round-trip ticket so it doesn't Mm -hmm. look shady as hell. You can afford it. You've got billions of ill-gotten dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just just buy the ticket. Buy the round-trip ticket and say, I'll see you on Wednesday, and then dip. You yeah. know, like, what is the problem? Exactly. Like, I would like a one-way ticket. <laughs> I would let me like just a, apply this. Like, I'd like a, a one-way ticket. ticket. I'm putting on this mustache. <laughs> let's, let's have snacks and sign NDAs. You know, it just is... Just go. What's what's the issue? And you can just you really could just drive to Mexico. They don't I was gonna say what are you going into Mexico. It's like you gotta show your ID to come back to the US at the border. But in Mexico, just like waving you like like what bad element could you possibly be? You come on down, come on down to downtown Tijuana, where (laughs) there's just nothing but tequila and sin uh, (laughs) in Spanish. And it's just come come here. Yeah, that's that seems I'm going to go with dumb. Dumb yes. is my answer. If she was smart, she would have gotten a round trip ticket, but not a direct flight. Once you get to your connecting connecting spot, you then buy a ticket to Bali <laughs> then, right before you have to get on the plane and then you get on the plane and go. Oh, and but never you know, go, but come back. They actually will get you on that, Mari. Here's why, because they will know that your bags are continuing and you're not on that flight. Those barcodes and computers like no stuff. Now, they won't care if you're stuck in the airport lounge Mm -hmm. and you miss the flight. They're not stopping the plane for that, but they're going to like blow up your bag with a fire hose when you get to Cancun or wherever you're supposed to go, wherever you're missing from. But uh, (laughs) I like the ingenuity. You could just, I mean, you could just, again, pack a fake bag, put a bunch of dirty underwear in there. Who cares? Just make it, just make a good effort. Don't show up <laughs> at the counter, you know, with a, a, a trench coat and a fedora pulled over <laughs> your eyes and a paste on mustache saying, I'd like to go to Guadalajara. You know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, perhaps she really was just going to a wedding. But, she could um, scam. She could scam like the world's greatest uh, businessmen out of billions of dollars on her stupid blood drop thing, but she doesn't know how to get out of town. Mm. Mm. I mean, Mari's a forensic chemist, and as soon as she saw that single drop, no, yeah. not fooled. Yeah. Not, fooled. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Uh, we covered the Elizabeth Holmes case in a previous episode. We will also link to that in the show notes. That was fun. Uh, we did that with the great Kirsten McInnes, who's... Mm-hmm. Uh, impression of Elizabeth Holmes is bar none, the best I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the current crime that we're talking about. A German countess named Carlotta Liebenstein died in 1992, and upon her death, she left her entire $80 million fortune to her beloved dog, Gunther III. That money uh, has remained with Gunther's descendants, the fourth, fifth, and uh, now the sixth. Gunther has a caretaker, Maurizio Mian, an Italian man, 
and a trust which lays out how the money must be spent with every dollar going to the health and happiness of the dog. Well, apparently Gunther likes boats. Uh, Gunther Mm -hmm. likes Madonna's villa in Florida and Gunther likes having extremely attractive young people around, having sex with each other and generally enjoying life. (laughs) But is this the truth? The truth is actually a mixture of dull old tax evasion, experiments in manufacturing happiness and the possibility of a new breed of humans. Kevin, you brought us this property. What appealed to you about it? Well, I do enjoy true crime that is bloodless. Mm, uh, yeah. And so this is a great scam, but it's not the kind of scam you think. I mean, mm-hmm. if I tell you that if I if the log line is uh, a dog inherits millions of dollars and uh, a uh, a shifty rich German man is in charge of the money. You can just like think like, you know, it's like, oh, he's probably buying boats and he's probably <laughs> buying a soccer team or two. And he's probably, you know, he's probably uh, asking uh, young men and women to get it on at Madonna's mansion. Maybe you wouldn't think that, but, but I thought it was really <laughs> I thought it was good because the crime is really unusual. And the, and mm-hmm. the in this in the sense that there is a crime. You know, the public really bought this idea, sort of a good, a feel good, like wacky news story. We'd call it the kicker at the end of the newscast. That last one. Mm. Oh, it's a kicker. It's so fun. Oh, yeah. Dogs got millions and millions of dollars. Um, But the idea really is deeper than that. When you find out that and I guess we can spoil, right? We're going to spoil. Yes, we're going to spoil that the money was Maurizio's from the beginning. And Mm -hmm. so what is this where they and this countess? You know, and I forget her name, but she sounds like the 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 femme fatale in the first Austin Austin Powers movie, <laughs> Falada Vagina. Um, oh, <laughs> the, the yeah. Countess, whatever her name is, and then like the Countess's son who committed suicide at twenty six, and also his name was Gunther. Gunther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this whole thing. It is like you said, part you know, boring tax evasion, money laundering thing. But the whole other part, remember the two parts to the will. The other is that Gunther, the Gunther group, must create a uh, pop group with young people. And it's like, what the fuck is that all about? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's really Maurizio's way of saying, okay, I'm going to do this with the money. I'll do it in the name of the dog. But mm. I really want to study people and find out how to be happy because I cannot be happy. And yeah. I think that's a lot deeper than just these regular con men stories because there have been a lot of them a lot mm-hmm. of true crime especially in the podcast world they do want to move away from serial killers and gruesome murders and mm-hmm. sort of you know the 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 lasciviousness of mm-hmm. of that and you know there's sometimes people take just too much joy and say well i have my favorite serial killer and maybe you guys have your favorite serial killer no nope. i don't we are very <laughs> okay. we're very into that yeah yes. so i mean so there's there's a lot of um, you know, podcasts that are dedicated to uh just con men like um well chameleon scam goddess scam goddess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and just you know, all the Elizabeth Holmes ones, you know, whether it's you know business or faking your death or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is really this is an unusual one because you know, while it has this financial aspect, I think there's really uh this deep uh you know, human commentary about can money literally buy happiness? And because yeah. he's putting his money towards literally trying to find out about it, not about him being happy, because if I had a yacht, I'd be fucking happy. But <laughs> he's like, really, guys in lab coats and clipboards trying to figure out how to be happy sleeping with all these women. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, I don't think you have to write a lot down if, um, you know, you're just like, I can sleep with that beautiful woman and that beautiful woman. Happy. Mark, color me happy. <laughs> Just don't end the experiment. But I think it's got it's kind of deeper than that. I'll say that my uh, my co-podcasters on Crime Writers on don't see it the same way. Well, I deliberately didn't listen to your episode uh, because I don't want um, because, because we're influenced enough over yeah, here right. at Crime Scene by Crime Writers on. We don't we don't need to absorb your opinions until afterwards. Murray, your mm-hmm. overall view on this documentary, where where did you sit with it? So it was very interesting. Like 
this documentary was very surprising. It had like a lot of twists and turns and um, Gunther's like the story I was not familiar with, but I feel like I'm familiar with the folklore of it all. You know what I'm saying? Like I was a, I was a kid in the early nineties and I vaguely remember there people being like, oh, yeah. And, you know, the old rich white lady who left all her money to her dog, like just something like random like that. Just, oh, you know, white people leave their money to their dogs, <laughs> like just <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Um, and I didn't realize that there was so much to it, you know, with the first two episodes where it's like, oh, he was a celebrity like in Italy. They knew all about this dog. This dog made the rounds on on daytime television. I thought that was so, I thought that was interesting. And then as each episode just kept going and going, I was like, oh my God, there's a whole nother layer to this. I'm like, sex cult. I'm like, oh, here are the Nazis. I knew the Nazis were going <laughs> to pop up at some point. Um, master race type stuff. Uh, but, and then, and then at the end, and then just the brilliantness of like the final episode, again, for full spoilers, you're already here at this point, um, but definitely go watch it, even if you're listening. Then at the end, to be like, it was all made up. <laughs> just kind of like, mm-hmm. it was great. It was great viewing. I mean, Santa isn't real. No, Santa's <laughs> real, but <laughs> the, the Contessa Carlotta is not real. She's a figment. I, I was fascinated by this documentary. I mean, you know, sorry to bore our listeners, Mary and I are on record as being anti the three-part Netflix documentary that doesn't mm-hmm. have to be three parts. This is a four-part and, in my opinion, very nicely paced. Yes. The revelations come at a sort of quite stately pace and I think that's good because the whiplash that you would have from each new thing would be difficult when God <laughs> arrives at the end of episode three. Well, of course God's, you know, of course God is here uh, with his ankle bracelet because he's on house arrest. <laughs> the talking heads, I mean, I want you to remember the guy's about, name. Yes. Fabrizio uh, Corona. Corona. <laughs> it sounds to me, it sounds like the name of a gangster from a bad B mafia movie. Yes. <laughs> hey, Fabrizio Corona. Come here, Brrr, you know. <laughs> I think he's the one brrring, but he's doing it with um, his jism rather than bullets. Because oh, apparently, no. according to someone else, no woman meets Fabrizio without having sex with him. Ah, that, mm. That's what they say. A very European. <laughs> I do want to talk about our talking heads. We do get quite a lot of them, but unlike some kind of overstuffed uh, documentary series that we have uh, talked about in the past with too many talking heads. I felt like each one had a part of the puzzle, but nobody had the whole puzzle. And they often refer to, have you asked Maurizio? Have you passed this with Maurizio? You'll have to ask Maurizio. I couldn't say. So it's as if they've all got some part of it. Lucy mm-hmm. Clarkson starts us off. She's the head of PR for the Gunther Trust. Uh, and she doesn't even want to talk about a whole section of it, which we get to in, in uh, episode four, because it's too unpleasant. She also mm-hmm. changes her hair color in the middle of it. Yeah, what the was filmmakers that? must have been thrilled. <sighs> Continuity. So confusing. We'll, we'll interview you in the same exact place, mm-hmm. but we're just going to pretend like now you're not a blonde. Mm-hmm. Or your yeah. dog, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, she went from brunette to blonde. But so Lucy... Uh, was she doing a good job of PR, Mari? Um, <laughs> I don't know because, like, it all came out. Like, this documentary was very fascinating to watch because, like you guys pointed out, the talking heads routinely would uh, change hair colors, change locations. You got to kind of like um, pay attention a little bit. I, there were a few people I had to go back and get their names a couple times um, because you can tell that the the documentarians did their job by like doing numerous and multiple interviews over like a, a span of time. And I think because they were doing that, they were able to unravel the story that they did. Like, I think they were able to talk to some people, unravel the story, come back to others, be able to like completely unfold everything by diligently doggedly tracking down the the story even as it twisted and turned (laughs) and I I was just shocked I was really shocked at everything that was just slowly 
slowly revealed to us throughout all four episodes. So Lucy, if she wanted any of this to not be revealed, she failed. She failed miserably. <laughs> and a lot of the time I was thinking, I was like, so they had to give Mauricio's permission to say all, say a lot of this stuff. And, and a lot of people say, oh, is the camera off? Is the camera off? Sure, the camera's off. The camera was not off. <laughs> like, <laughs> Very yes, interesting. If you're talking to a, a journalist, if you're talking to a documentary filmmaker, everything you say, Kevin, surely you have to assume that everything you say uh, is recorded, even if you say, turn off the camera, this is off the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one would think <laughs> that if you've been, uh, you know, keeping up this subterfuge for decades, that you would be a little more versed in the idea that... <laughs> This is the fifth time these guys have come to my home and asked me questions about mm-hmm. this big fraud I've been running. And uh, yeah, you think you'd be a little more suspect. I think there were a couple of times, though, where they it seemed like he believed that they didn't understand Italian. Because there were there was one scene mm-hmm. in which I'll just say so it just seemed to me, first of all, that, you know, he kind of went back and forth a little bit between English and Italian. Yeah, he did. The, uh, and it seemed to me like if he really wanted you to understand something or believe something, he tried to say it in English. Um, I don't know if that's really a tell, but there was one scene where, again, they're like kind of, you know, taking a break in between something and his ex-wife, Carla. That's a weird relationship. They're <laughs> yeah. still friends or whatever. Comes over and they start speaking in Italian. And he's like, I have to, we have to be very careful, very careful. And says, you know, like now I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to be careful about? (laughs) Yes. Now I want to know. Yes. This was shades of uh, the jinx. Yeah. But it's like, I got to tell you though, when you you find out that uh, his family ran a a German pharmaceutical company, I'm like, oh my God, what Holocaust related Mm -hmm. medication is this going to find? You know, are we going to find out that this is where all the, all the stolen, gold came or what you know whatever <laughs> all the art tre- treasures that disappeared from world war ii mm. is like this can't be good this can't be good but they they invented a bone density fixer upper yeah so it was a it but was apparently a they gave thing. to a dog that yeah. cured him but why would we believe that at this point why would we that believe the first everything? gunter was yeah that well no he was the gunter the third because he was he was Maurizio's who, girlfriend's third uh, German shepherd. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Maurizio. I was sort of holding him back, but let's let's dive in. Fascinating man. I heard the sex cult ideas, so I was <laughs> waiting for him to be, you know, the perpetrator, the one that was uh, preying on these young people. He yeah. was preying on If you go to the, the trouble people, of setting up a sex cult, you should take Why wouldn't you it? be the one? Why wouldn't you be the one taking part? And yeah, although generous, he's described but... as a ladies' man, and although he is encouraging the mother of his daughter, who he didn't marry but has his surname, to be part of a sort of communal life, mm. I don't know that he was. We don't kind of get that that uh, Warren Jeffs predating on people sex cold. It's. I won't say worse because let's not compare it, but it's it's stranger and more disturbing than that. He was observing beautiful young people having sex freely with each other to see if they could manufacture, first of all, happiness, and then second of all, a new breed of human being. He had help in the area of, I'm going to say procuring, procuring. Yeah. Procuring these young people. Uh, we hear throughout from Ed Arenas, the Miami casting director, in his Let's Do Lunch t shirt. <laughs> yes. He knew about continuity because he wore that t shirt in every yeah. shot. He said it wasn't your conventional casting situation. It sounded pretty conventional to me. Find some sexy, yeah. vibrant young people. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin, Ed Arenas, how did he strike you? Uh, he is it, is it weird to say that the guy, in the dumb T-shirt, who probably lives with his mom, uh, is was the truth teller in the in this as yes. far as like <laughs> his honest opinion of like what was going on. You know, it's I, he. Uh, you know, he says that you know he found the people for um, 
you know, some of these quasi entertainment acts. I think it was, it was at the choreographer who like brought them together and like realized nobody could sing, nobody could dance. And he said, ah, this is, this is not a group. This is not a, yeah. this is <laughs> it's not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that guy was kind of funny. And he was, the, he also kind of talked about the, uh, the eugenics of it. Where, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, again, sort of Maurizio, like, I want people to be happy and we should just make, you know, we just start a new generation of people who just automatically be happy. And it's like, you are just one brown shirt away from a night mm. rally where mm. you're burning books and, you know, marching your dog Gunter into Poland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Ed Arenas, it was so funny when he sat down, I was like, and he was like, I'm a casting director. I was like, mm. A casting director, <laughs> and then as it went on, I'm like, "How is the casting director sounds like the least sleaziest person in this whole documentary? He sounds like the least sleaziest." And you're right; he was so he was talking about he he he's casting for this Gunther group that, like Sarah said, they are the benefits of the the quote unquote trust as well. It's it's Gunther the dog, and then it's the group, and. I was like, this is all cult. This is, and I, and that's what I love. This is like the first two episodes and you're just kind of like, okay, so it's a cult. And so it's like, it's five, it's the two guys, the three girls aspect. It's the, oh, they kind of got to be blonde, but we, you know, we're going to, we're going to say it, but like not really say it. And then they're like, oh, but they're, they're like models and actors and singers. They're going to be a pop band. And then like Kevin said, Maxidus, the choreographer comes in, who, who is a black guy. It was, it was kind of funny. We, we kind of, um, clapped every time we saw a black person on this on this uh documentary there's only two of them and <laughs> maxidus, maxidus was like yeah i'm trying to whip them into shape but <laughs> we got clips of them trying to sing and it was it was not singing um and i think at one point they just threw him in the group <laughs> to kind of like help with that aspect of it but i thought the burgundians this is them in miami was very like i feel like they could have probably given us another episode about them because correct me if I'm wrong I feel like they left out some stuff because they said that they you know they had these rules these 13 commandments here I don't know if you had them but they had these 13 commandments and a lot of them were really weird very very cult-like but a lot of it centered around them having sex like just random sex (laughs) with each other as much as possible but also oops oh guess what there's also cameras in the house that they didn't really know of you know, and I mean, I'm there like, were cameras in the bedroom, she says, but I, I didn't. It took me a while to realize they were filming us. Oh, darling, you were the designated <laughs> sex kitten and uh, meow. Yes, the commandments were very anti conformity. Mm-hmm. So, marriage, no, commitment to one person for life, no, that there be work and living separate, no, we don't do that. Uh, so, we get a little bit of drip feed of Maurizio's mother. Mm. And finally, it's described as a love-hate relationship. That's a very strong way to describe a relationship with a mother, Kevin, don't you think? Hate? Uh, Well, I can't speak from experience. I love my mom. But Mm -hmm. I can see people who have difficulties uh, with, you know, I'm not, again, I don't want to stereotype, but I just don't think like maybe a German mom would be the warmest. It's not like, you know, your <laughs> Italian Nana or, uh, you, you know, I just, I could see that there'd be, especially when there's like money involved, right? Mm-hmm. She, she, and a lot of money. She seemed to be withholding her approval of him to some extent. At least that's kind of what I, I, I read. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, I don't think that that's uncommon. And certainly, you know, it yeah. might be part of his general unhappiness, depression, you know, his sense of self might have, that might have something to do with, with that, that he, uh, his relationship with his mother was, you know, not mm-hmm. great. You know, I guess we got to get Freud into, well, you know, well as they say, you can't spell Oedipus without us. Yeah, very nice. I mean, e- even if she didn't withhold her approval, one feels that he felt that she did, if you put mm-hmm. it that way. I mean, he's an Italian man, but brought up by a German and an Italian living in Italy. So there's a push pull of culture. 
there. Yes, they're all European, but they're very different. I was fascinated by him. You feel all the way along, and the filmmakers, I don't know how they do it, but they give us this little vibration of we're telling you this or we're being told this, but what else is there? What else is there? And at the end of every episode, they'll introduce almost like the theme of the following episode. Mm-hmm. And so finally, we we may as well talk about uh, episode four where we get, I suppose, the realist Maurizio that we're going to get. He names himself as bipolar. He, from his uh, wife and the, and who's the mother of his son and his girlfriend who's the mother of his daughter, they both speak of his depression, uh, his girlfriend's eyes fill with tears of empathy. The story that was told about the Countess was that the Countess had a son called Gunther who was a very close friend of Maurizio who died by suicide at 26. Maurizio finally almost agrees that that young man didn't exist and to me it was a coping mechanism that he Maurizio was talking about himself because he often uh-huh. talks about, well, I didn't want to do it, but the idea of what Gunther wanted, the idea of his free-spirited living, I had to, in his name, I had to experience and explore this free-spirited living. And and so this was the fascination. I mean, the crime of tax, tax evasion, leaving that aside, it was a study of this man who has depression very seriously, presumably from what we hear, and has found a story through which to tell his own fable, I suppose. And he talks about falling in love, falling in love with Gunther the dog, who's obviously a a transference object. Dogs are wonderful. They can be all things to all people. Mari, you have a dog. Uh Uh-huh. I I do. She's right there. She's not about to inherit any money. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> <laughs> but what did you think about this made up as we find out young man Gunther who who died at 26 with his whole life ahead of him it was like it it was a little bit of a shock because even though as we're going through the rest of it I, I was like there's no way that the countess in her will said that there needed to be a pop group and use references from like the mid 90s I was like that doesn't make sense so I'm like so he is coming up with this but I didn't completely go the whole route like oh the countess never existed the son Gunther never existed I was I was a little uh, flummoxed by that I was like dang you know even after everything we've already seen um but it, it I I think it's very interesting that e- almost everybody that they talked to eventually came around to like yeah Maurizio was you know he wasn't in a good place and he probably used you know Gunther as a like you know, a coping, like you said, a coping mechanism, a, a story that when, and I think one of the, one of his former wives or girlfriends or whatever said that whenever he was down, that's when he would talk about Gunter, the son Gunter and how he was feeling. And she was like, that's how she knew that he wasn't feeling too good or something like that. So it was, it's a, it's very interesting. It's like very, very interesting, but I'm also kind of like, but this, this dude, ugh. Like he he committed crimes, but also it's like nobody died. But it's it's just it's just feel it feels a little weird. It feels a little weird, and I don't know if I'm weird in saying that. You know, I just didn't I did I didn't understand what he wanted. Like trying to find the the, the research of happiness. Like every time they said science or scientific research, I rolled my <laughs> eyes to the back of my head. I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed. I'm like, you just have a guy with a clipboard following these people around. Like, how do you measure happiness? How do you measure joy? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. You measure it with an Edo disc. You measure it with a large disc that you wear around your neck Mm. that will show by flashing lights your physicality, your spectacularity, your popularity, mm. your wealth, and your sexuality. And when all those things are in balance, we'll start generating children to make dot, 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 new humans, question mark? I, I was so confused. I was so confused. <laughs> when you have children, you are making new humans. So that's yeah. not really revolutionary. 
Yes. Thanks, Barry Morse, the guy walking around with the clipboard, <laughs> oh, like this is the oh best job I ever had. Yeah, who's never taken science? I uh, saw a science class, and since he was 60s, wearing a was white so coat, Murray, he was wearing uh, a white coat. Oh, mm, legit. There are people who uh, one section that was very interesting was right at the end, where some of the talking heads that we have spoken to throughout talk about how their lives have been enriched by Maurizio and Gunther. Really, we don't really talk to many people whose lives were not, apart from one man who's complaining he didn't get his million dollars. Um, but one of them is Garen James. He was a <laughs> former uh, employee of the Gunther Trust. He was one of one of the groups, the Tremendous Five or whatever they were called, interchangeable five. group, Magnificent Five. Uh, who could be six and they could be interchangeable. He is now the current owner of Cowboys for Angels, where he has improved the lives of straight women the world over, question mark? Uh, yes, and uh, which has been showcased in the Showtime uh, TV show Gigolos. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the world over was like uh, something that you could purchase. Mm. <laughs> uh, oh dear hey garen mm, the there things was also, i had to google for this episode yes yes including the information that maurizio said in 1995 to an italian newspaper that the countess wasn't real so mm-hmm. you know the information has been out there lee dahlberg gunther's spokesperson was a, a macta at one point in his life <laughs> And is hopes to be arriving to be the spokesperson for Gunther when he's on a cane. He said he wanted to be a tick on that dog's ass for the rest of his life. Who wouldn't? I'm I'm telling you honestly, like it's the easiest job. You just hang around, pet a dog, and and but you have to be have sex in front of people. Well, I don't know about that part, but well, he doesn't anymore because he's, he's he's aged out. He's yeah, aged yeah. out of the experiment, I think. I mean, when's he going to age out of those beads, though? Oh, please! <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments when when the sound the sound person had to come and take the beads from his neck and say, "We can't see them, but we can hear." Them. <laughs> 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 But let's talk about these these beautiful dogs, uh, German Shepherds. For dog lovers, it's very tough in episode four, so we need to talk about that. But Gunther's bloodline, I know it's a breeding term, but when you add it into trying to create perfect humans, uh, it does have a sort of ring to it. Mauricio trusted a one of the best German Shepherds Breeders in the world, apparently, Alarico Scroy, uh, and yet this all went bad. I lost the plot slightly here. I don't think it was the filmmaker's fault, but I mm-hmm. didn't understand why. And here, the very distressing scenes of dogs kept in cages inside a house that had to be rescued by police. What what was this section about? The section, the only thing that Lucy, the PR woman, uh, did not want to talk about. What was this section telling us, Kevin, do you think? It's hard to say. I mean, I think my takeaway from it was that the dogs that were there were the Gunther uh, bloodline. But other than, you know, going and auditing this breeder with this fantastic reputation, I'm not certain that the Gunther group did anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's certainly the the blame in at least the press clippings that they showed us and translated mm-hmm. into English. And, you know, from uh, the rescue people was that, you know, this, it was on this breeder, but this breeder was paid by the Gunther group. And so they did seem to, uh, you know, feel a sense of moral responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what may explain Maurizio's fucked up idea of buying an Island. So dogs can run free on it. It's like they're, the dogs is it's going to be like a Caribbean uh, equivalent of a puppy mill where if you're just going to have dogs run around once they eat all of the iguanas, they're just going to reproduce and there's going to be litters of dogs and it's just going to be dogs everywhere. That's not a good idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was strange to me. It's like, why do you need to go to an island 
in the Bahamas and buy it, surely a, a ranch or a farm right. where yeah. you can take dog, you know, like a, a real farm, not the other sort of farm that dogs yeah. go to, uh, yeah. run correctly, uh, cheaper, and also perhaps with more oversight. Uh, have it in America if you want to, have it in Italy if you want to. It was this grandiosity of we have to get in a private plane with John Christie, the private island broker, who can't mm-hmm. wait to get Petit K off his books and sold to Maurizio. He's there with his ex-wife. They apparently have a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. Good for them. And Gontha uh, interacts, shall we say, with the iguanas. I thought this is not a place so for dogs. Uh, Mari, I'm wondering whether or not this was just for the cameras. That Maurizio, because he uh, occasionally does things like that. And if they asked him questions about what happened at the kennel and he seemed, you know, they had this one scene, which was um, a little, I don't want to say out of place, but it was unusual. It was just a shot of the two directors on a speakerphone with Maurizio. Yeah. Kind of like, tell us more about that, which is on, I don't want to say it's unusual, but certainly they had many opportunities to sit down and talk with him. So mm-hmm. why they needed to do this on, and they couldn't save it for the next time. I'm, I'm not certain, but it seems to me like if that was brought up and that's in people's minds, and if he's eventually going to say, Hey, they were all clones or whatever, that he might again, stage something showing this is my act of contrition. I'm going to not buy a farm. I'm going to do something, a, a huge gesture, which is to buy this Island and ship a handful of dogs. You know, you can't rescue all the dogs. You can't send them all to an Island. Uh, you know, and that because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> None of it makes sense. And I, I completely agree. I think Maurizio knew the cameras were there. I'm wondering if he had some sort of agreement with the directors that he could rebut or can talk about anything they uncover almost, you know, like I I, I don't know if that's the case, but it it does it does feel put on it. You can tell even before we get that final, final scene, you know, at the end of him, like talking about lying to the cameras you knew that he was putting on a show you could tell and i thought they did it brilliantly and i can't remember if it was the end of episode three or during episode four when the lies about the countess and her son gunther start unraveling they they kind of rewind and they show him talking about the story and show like him uh, choking up and 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 getting emotional and stuff like that and just kind of putting the nail in the coffin like this guy is a, a liar you know and or he 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 enjoys it and then even with um him going on all of the italian daytime shows we find out that they first go on the italian circuit because gunther the third is dying and they have a miracle cure so that wasn't the media at first but then it died down so now he needed a new spin he he got gunther the fourth out of gunther the third's bloodline and now since that was his dog he could really run with it and now this is the dog that inherits all of the money so he clearly has a penchant for being in the spotlight he loves to have the attention on him but not on him on the dog like he it's very very interesting um how he he wants the it's almost like he wants the spotlight but he doesn't truly want the spotlight kind of like with the with the band he's not in the band he's not engaging with these kids but he's there and he's he's watching you know it's it's very very interesting i think his kink is that he likes to watch yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yes Yes, and he he wooed, if you can call it that, uh, his girlfriend, the mother of his daughter, who was a platonic friend. He said, well, we're friends. I'd like to get a daughter with you. Mm -hmm. And she said, "Uh, slow your roll, woo me first. He did. They fell in love and they had a daughter who was then raised by the interchangeable Fantastic Five members in a community free of sexual jealousy or any of the problems of mere mortals. They're living uh, by the code of the Spice Girls. That's <laughs> oh right. my gosh, that was so funny. I was like, I don't think he understood that song. <laughs> if you want to be my lover, you've got to get with my friends. And he thought, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> that took me out. I'd get with my friends. Spice Girls, you know, the Spice Girls. Well, English isn't his first language, so 
English is not his first language. <sighs> it, it's it's intriguing. Murray, you don't like mm-hmm. open-ended uh, mysteries. You don't like unsolved mm-hmm. crimes. You're, you're on record as that. And I think I was banging on about where's the, you know, point of view of the filmmakers a couple of episodes ago when we talked about uh, hatchet-wielding uh, hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this one where the mystery isn't solved hmm. and the filmmakers are almost us. They're showing us the story, but they are almost stepping through the story in the same way that we are, that I found intensely satisfying that I was allowed to yeah. just meet this man, hear what a lot of people had to say about him, hear what he had to say about himself, and just kind of be with these mysteries. Uh, what did you think about about that, the almost unfinishedness of the film? I I get it. I, I honestly boiled it down to it's tax evasion like it's just <laughs> it's tax evasion uh he, he is just it's a, a clever clever very popular very kind of funny uh cover story for tax evasion that's that's what i came away with it and i, I didn't feel like it was unsolved i i thought it was just interesting i thought it was something i'd never seen in my entire life when it comes to true crime as long as i've been consuming it and again nobody got like hurt hurt you know from what we what was presented to us so um it it's it's very weird very very interesting very dynamic i i liked it you know kevin your last thoughts before we get to our ratings well, I thought it was, what can I say? Uh, I I actually enjoyed the part where this became an investigation. Yes. Because they slowly mm-hmm. start to pull back, you know, the idea that, they, I mean, they took, they with sober eyes, they looked at this story that is just so fun and funny. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, and finally said, well, you know, there's no death record for this countess. And, look, you know, <laughs> Your money was part of this, you know, Liechtenstein or was it Luxembourg or what, you know, Mm -hmm. some tiny company, country, money laundering thing. And when each time when they sort of confront for uh, Maurizio, he kind of would just say, yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Almost as if like just waiting for somebody to say, hey, isn't this bullshit? And say, yeah, actually, it is, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's, it's a bullshit. Yes, I get it. You know, <laughs> uh, so I, I enjoyed that part of it. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think of a, an equivalent in recent history where there's just like a story that's out there. Maybe it's like, you know, oh, no, the, the balloon boy. That was fake. You mm-hmm. know, that, uh, you know, like some story that you want to believe is, is good. And then somebody finally takes a look and says, you know, that never really made sense. So mm-hmm. let's pull that apart. And uh, I that's what I enjoyed about one of the things I enjoyed about this. This gave me like huge Tiger King vibes, like people just admitting to crimes like on camera, just <laughs> just open ended, just like, um, twists and turns. It's like, it's, you know, people are going to see this, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Even even their lawyer with the rather magnificent moustache, Pietro Salosolia, who says, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm an, a lawyer, so I really can't say anything except I will now tell you absolutely everything. Everyone, every talking head leaks, leaks like a sieve in this. Yeah. They're telling things right, left and centre, uh, including the lovely Carla, uh, Maurizio's ex-wife, who said, oh, no, no, no. Oh, you, you're being naughty. Oh, you're asking me these questions. Oh, you'll have to ask Maurizio, but then I'll tell you absolutely everything that happened. It yeah. was such an extraordinary tale and while it was it was hard to grasp every single thread as as I went through I felt very you know taken by the hand by these filmmakers and and I found it incredibly uh, satisfying so Kevin out of a possible five how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate Gunther's millions I'm going to give it can I do like three and a half you or do I have to yeah. round up the five, three and a half no. ma- magnifying glasses. It's not going to win a Peabody Award or <laughs> uh, a Pulitzer, but I enjoyed it. It was a light touch, and you know, it just it was a it was a fun thing to sort of think about. Uh, and when I think about uh, you know Maurizio 
and I see him less as a, you know, a scam artist because he's not really taking the money from the dog. It's his all along, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a sad f- figure. And that that's, that's what made it compelling for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Murray, what about you? How many magnifying glasses for this docu-series? Hmm. I think I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a four, four magnifying glasses. I found it very, very entertaining. Uh, the twists and turns were just outrageous, but I feel like it lacked a little bit in cohesiveness, like some cohesiveness was was missing a little bit. Um, the production style was really good. I love the behind the scenes of we're seeing them set up. We're seeing the quote unquote off camera stuff. I love that type of documentary. Um, so I'll give it a strong four. Yeah. How about you, hmm. Sarah? I'm wavering between a three and a half and a four. I was at first the sort of the behind the scenes and seeing the the audio person talking about beads and all of that. I was like, yeah, we've sort of seen that before. But then the payoff was in the supposedly off-the-record recordings where we did actually need to see the filmmakers involved. So I thought, oh, that's very nicely done. You've woven in clues um, throughout. I was very intrigued by this man. I liked the documentary very much. Four episodes is not a chore, uh, as I say to those who love animals, or just anybody who has eyes and a heart. Be careful of episode four. It's a little bit distressing, but you can see it coming and you can go forward. I think I'm going to say three and a half, but a strong three and a half. I think that's a, a good rating. Kevin, what do you have to recommend to our listeners? What have you been listening to, watching and reading that you think is good? I think folks should check out this documentary coming out on Hulu. It's called Stolen Youth. And it's about (laughs) what was. Oh, you're nodding like you've seen this. We're covering it next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think it's um, something you're really going to like. It uh, looks at a guy named Lawrence Ray and his involvement with a bunch of his daughter's college classmates. And uh, basically made what was called the Sarah Lawrence College cult. It's not exactly called. It's a cult of personality. It's not a sex cult like the press wanted to make it. But it's really fascinating in part because after, you know, the first two uh, parts where we hear about, you know, the background and what happened. The last episode uh, jumps to sort of present day and follows the remaining people, the people that stayed with him and never got out of the cult when he was arrested. And we see Whoa. them go on different paths with their, um, let's say, reacclimation to reality, where mm. one is you, one is still sort of under his spell and believes that everything that Larry did was great. And then you see on camera another one slowly get her brain back, as she says, be in the middle of talking about something that happens, then stops and realizes that maybe that didn't happen. Um, so I think it's really fascinating. It's spellbinding. Oh, wow. Oh, great. Uh, Mari, what about you? Yes, I would like to recommend something a little bit different uh, this week. Um, over here in the States, it is officially Black History Month, and I want to highlight a um, Black LGBTQ author who is a dear, dear friend of mine who just published their first uh, children's book. Um, so I want to I want to recommend the children's book Ma Where's Mommy by Tanita James. It is a book about how uh, early childhood is a time of many transitions, including working alongside or staying at home with parents, um, moving from babysitters to childcare, and even beginning school. In Ma Where's Mommy, a young girl learns to cherish her past and present experiences with her parents while adapting to changes and similarities in her day-to-day life. So I wanted to switch it up. Um, This is not crime related. Uh, Not only do I want to support my friend, but also put out a really, really good book, a very helpful book as me as a mother going through this exact thing. Um, I wanted to share share my friend's story and and share this story with, with anybody who needs it out there while also celebrating Black History Month. Sarah, how about you? I have a recommendation. Uh, it's a TikTok follow. Two girls, one doc. Oh, D-O-C. Jesus. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is BD and Four Ends, so two English women with an interest in true crime. They also have a podcast where they review true crime documentaries. Come on, girls. Lame. Um, <laughs> very lame. Uh, they are Who on would hiatus. Do such a thing? <laughs> uh, they are on hiatus from the podcast. Good. They. <laughs> but they are TikToking like like the, the best TikTokers in the world. It's TikTok's still a mystery to me. So if you want quick two-minute reviews of documentaries, they also do upcoming stuff and they also do true crime news. It is an extremely good follow. So that's two girls, one doc. And if you fetishize English accents, which I do not, that's also <laughs> a good place to go. <laughs> At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's Scene S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. We're also on TikTok at Crime.scene and on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. So, Kevin, what do you have going on and where can the people find you? Well, we have my. Uh... Big podcast. We'll call it the Big Podcast, The Mothership. It's Crime <laughs> Writers On. It features me, Rebecca Lavoy, Toby Ball, and Laura Bricker, where we review true crime podcasts, documentaries, other podcasts, true crime pop culture, anything that's crime adjacent. I also have a podcast called These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, which we look at an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. Uh, then hmm. we talk about the real life story that inspired that episode. Awesome. I am at Kevin P. Flynn on Twitter and uh, something like that on Instagram. I don't know. I only go to post to Instagram when I accidentally post to Facebook and it mm. populates it. And I don't know. So just <laughs> what I don't just don't follow me on LinkedIn. That shit sucks. Mari, <laughs> what have you got going on? Of course, every week, me and Matt Scott bring you the highlights of the week in wrestling over on the Wrestling Rehap Up podcast. You can follow us by going to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed. Uh, the Royal Rumble just happened not too long ago. So we're we're in the middle of the road to WrestleMania. It is the best time to jump into to wrestling. And you can just listen to us as you get ready for WrestleMania in April. I was also on the Married at First Sight uh, podcast with Asia and Jason last week. We had so, so much fun, even though we were arguing a lot. So you can go and check that out there on YouTube now. So you can go to the Rob Has a Podcast YouTube page, search Married at First Sight, and you can see our beautiful faces. And of course, I had to jump on the uh, the Hot Mess Express with Mr. 90 Day Fiance himself, Puya Zambikili. We uh, recapped the 90 Day Fiance the other way episode. Uh, so go check that out. I'm all over the place right now. Um, so just go to robhasawebsite.com and you can find everything that I'm doing there. I also post on my Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two where I post everything that I, I'm guesting on. So if you want more me, <laughs> go follow me there and you'll see what I'm working on. What about you, Sarah? You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine and with my other podcasting partner, the one I'm being unfaithful to you with, Mari, <laughs> Australian Ninja Warrior, Sean Bryan. We are a dash of gingers and we are podcasting about Taskmaster Australia over on Silent Podcasts. We did a preseason with Naomi Calhoun and we are about to drop the recap of episode one and we'll be there every week for the next 10 weeks with Taskmaster Australia. I'm also writing about Australian Survivor on Inside Survivor magazine. So again, like Mari, if you follow me on Twitter, you will hear everything that I am doing. To everyone's surprise, next time on Crime Scene, we're covering mm. Stolen Youth inside the cult at Sarah Lawrence uh, with a date with Datelines, Kimberly and Katie. So you can watch that on Hulu and send us your comments and Good questions. Good guests, quality guests. Quality yes. guests. <laughs> Thanks to Kevin Flynn for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott Santier behind the scenes. Until next time. Case, Case closed. closed.